this is recording. RTI International Center for Forensic Science presents Just Science. And welcome to Just Science, the podcast for forensic science professionals. I'm John Morgan, your host with RTI International Center for Forensic Science. Today we're doing a Just So You Know about a very, very special contributor to the forensic science discipline, Tony Cantu, who ran the Secret Service Forensic Laboratory for many years, has passed away here in the last couple of weeks. Huge loss for the forensic science community. Tony was, uh, I think, in many ways a, a mentor to many folks within the scientific community who cared about forensic science, but of course, he also was uh, somebody who mentored a great many forensic scientists, was responsible for a great deal of advancement in, uh, in ink analysis and forensic science. We're very fortunate to have with us to talk about Tony today, Joe Stevens, who was a document analyst with the Secret Service and uh, uh, trained and worked uh, with Tony for uh, a number of years and is now with the FBI laboratory as a chemist and forensic examiner. Welcome to the uh, podcast, uh, Joe. Thank you for having me, John. I'll tell you my first story about Tony because I started actually in the Justice Department in 2002, and I didn't know quite what to expect from other folks who were involved in work in forensic science and federal agencies. And Tony was the first senior person I met in the Justice Justice Department and related stuff who was just like a friend. You know, he just came, he was he was just like, okay, John, you got this new responsibility. Let me help you. And that was just uh, an enormous benefit to me in my career in the sense that he was somebody who, who just wanted to help and reassure you and bring the junior folks along. Yeah. I, one of the qualities of Tony that I remember most is his ability to relate to any level of person. And, and I first met Tony when I was a contractor with the Secret Service and then again as a trainee. And he was more than willing to help me on any number of occasions. And I thought that it odd that a man with his seniority and pedigree in terms of publications took the time to spend with me when I was just getting started. Yeah, and I, one of the interesting things, too, is that Secret Service is very specialized in many ways in its laboratory function. They end up doing an awful lot of unusual document examination, and Tony really learned how to invent the scientific basis behind the work that uh, they that the Secret Service needed to do. Yeah, he and uh, Richard Brunel put together an ink library, and that ink library has started is basically a collection of pens in Tony's office, and over the decades has grown into quite an enormous collection that's used to attempt to assess the source of an ink and to track when an ink may have been introduced. Yeah, it was one of the first attempts really to look at an area of, of that is sometimes considered qualitative and really, really try to understand specifically how you would match up an ink against really thousands of different varieties. And so it was very ambitious for its time and still is very ambitious. It's probably one of the largest libraries in trace examination and document examination that we have still. Yeah, the last I worked at the service, it was over 13,000 inks. So that had grown from obviously a small office into a large space in a lab. But Tony also had the foresight to realize that some of the techniques that could have been used on it may not provide the information down the road that would be comparable. So, for example, Tony decided that thin layer chromatography was a good approach, and certainly it has its benefits, but 
It doesn't analyze the entirety of the ink. There's other components and inks to analyze. But Tony knew that they would stand the test of time, that you could compare an ink from 30 years ago with an ink from today. And if you're looking at the colorants, that that comparison can actually take place. And that's pretty good foresight for him because some other techniques have kind of come and gone. And, and Tony knew well enough to base it on something that was still used today. Yeah, I remember having that discussion with him because in the mid-2000s, which is around when you were in the laboratory as well, you know, he was still doing similar chromatography. I'm like, Tony has an awful lot of other approaches to it. He was very patient. <laughs> yeah, you know, one of the challenges with inks, and especially question documents that have ink on them, is the examiner doesn't know how long the ink has been on the document. So there are resins and other solvents that are in inks, but those are transient, and some of those can evaporate over time. And, and Tony knew that, and so he you know, acknowledged that there were other ways to compare these inks, but the most stable way, the most consistent way to do that over a long period of time, and with not knowing the age of the entry, was to use something like the colorants and to analyze those colorants thinly, or chromatography was the, the choice. So one of the nice things that, as I mentioned, was that he was committed to the science or forensic science and, and really did everything he could. He was always contributing to understanding both the NIJ research program, very heavily involved. I was also over at TISWIG and very heavily involved, too, in the forensic science working group at TISWIG and, of course, at IAI. So I think that's uh, definitely a model that the forensic science community can learn from. It's just like, you know, if it's going to be forensic science, you've got to be engaged directly in the scientific activity if you really want to lead it into the future. Yeah, and Tony was probably one of the grandfathers in terms of teasing out research and some of the things that may have been addressed in some of the panels that I put together in the recent you know, past decade that aimed to make something more scientific. Uh, Tony, long ago, had started to research both inks and other disciplines where he was trying to bring more science and bring more population studies, do more to add additional techniques or additional development methods. So that was atypical of the time, I believe. Yeah, we often also don't talk about document examination, and Secret Service does a broader variety of things. But of course, that's really where it, it starts hitting the home runs is when you get into the document examination and the, the folks there, because of Tony, to a very large extent, have, have really become you know the world-class laboratory in, in that area. And I don't think it's really appreciated how critical that is to a wide variety of cases. Even in our electronic age, documents are incredibly important. Obviously, Secret Service is interested in counterfeiting to a large extent, but also they're interested in protecting presidents and cabinet and, and other American leaders as well. And document examination is, is extraordinarily important in that regard. Given the uh, specialization that's required and available at the Secret Service, a significant volume of the cases were external agency cases that, you know, assists to locals and states, and in some cases, other federal labs. There are cases that, you know, were in the national headlines that documents and contracts that were worth billions of dollars uh, came into question, and the Secret Service was allowed to go to to analyze those documents. Yeah, there was one case in particular where I know Tony played a significant role. Talk to me about one of the cases. I, I know that we had mentioned that some of the issues from World War II. Can you talk to me about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah, I'm aware that Tony had worked on a a document that was like an identification card that involved John Demyanyuk, which was also, he was also referred to as Ivan the Terrible. He was uh, believed to be a criminal, excuse me, a Nazi war guard at one of the concentration camps. So he was eventually charged with some crimes related to that, and he was tried for those charges. And Tony examined that document and also testified in that case as well. 
So can you recall exactly what was done to tie the document to Demyanyuk? I believe it was a stamp on a photo. There was some question as to whether or not the stamp on the photo was legitimate or if potentially that was altered in some way. And so Tony had analyzed the stamp and I believe the ink on that stamp to attempt to determine if there was any kind of alteration or fabrication that was involved. So one of the things that you know I think is very important with respect to some of the disciplines where they are very, very specialized, and that is to be able to make sure that you have developed a legacy. And we were just sharing it. You know, obviously, you are somebody who, you know, your career was enormously helped. But there's some other folks, Robert Romantowski, who I believe is still at Secret Service, and Jerry Laporte. Anybody who knows about our Forensic Technology Center of Excellence knows Jerry is the head of forensic science at NIJ that funds the FTCOE and is also somebody who owes a lot in his career to Tony and his work. I know that Tony was actively involved in training a number of examiners, and just in Inc. alone, he participated in a training of probably more than a dozen individuals, and just in my time at the Secret Service. But then Tony assisted in training fingerprint examiners as well. He also conducted fingerprint research. So even at my time at the service, uh, Tony probably assisted several dozens of examiners and Tony had worked for probably 35 or 40 years before that, doing the same type of thing, assisting and developing trainees and providing guidance and mentoring to people who were more junior. So how did you wind up at Secret Service working with Tony? Was it something that you were interested in in terms of uh, the kind of work that Secret Service was doing at the time? Or how did you fall into the Tony Cantu orbit, as it were? Well, I have to say I lucked into the Tony Cantu orbit. I had presented a research paper from a local university at the Secret Service. They were having a open organizational meeting, and I had the opportunity to meet Tony and some other scientists there at the time. And through that presentation, I got offered to contract with that agency to do ink chemistry work, to work on the library at the time. After that, I subsequently applied for it and got a job there. What was interesting about that process was when I applied for the job, I actually had two job offers, uh, one for a, a different agency and one to work with the Secret Service. And I had already worked with Tony and other scientists there. You know, of all the people that I had interacted with in my professional career, which was limited at the time, Tony was the most warm and welcoming scientist that I had met. And I thought, what better opportunity than to work with him? So I actually chose to work for the Secret Service versus my other offer because Tony worked there and I had a chance to learn from him and, and sit beside him, basically. Also a good lesson. I think we live in a harsher age in some respects. But Tony reminds me of uh, an era of how you treated somebody and the, and the way in which you brought other people along and, and held up other people in terms of your service to them was considered very, very important. And sometimes we lose that value too much, I think. I agree that it's an underappreciated uh, skill or personality trait. And far and away, that's Tony's best personality trait, both his humbleness and his ability to relate to any person or group of people. I remember times where Tony would have conversations with waiters and waitresses at restaurants, or he would, you know, chat up the maintenance staff that was coming through, uh, you know, tidying up the office. Tony always made time for everyone and was always genuinely interested in what they had to say and generally interested in, in helping them learn new things. And that's definitely a rare trait, and it's definitely something that I've taken away from Tony, and I use as, as many opportunities as I can to develop people that I may interact with where it's possible. Of course, you've now moved on to the FBI laboratory, and so you have a 
have a chance to bring Tony's spirit and his commitment to science and to excellent document examination and chemistry to bear on a whole new generation of folks at the FBI lab. Yeah, and I think of Tony and his diligence and ability to either have the answer or be able to find the answer. And I can vividly remember a specific instance where I was a, a young trainee and you know ran into Tony's office with a, a great observation I had just seen that I thought was earth-shattering. And Tony heard me out and, you know, listened intelligently and then went over to his big bookcase that he had and thumbed around a little bit and pulled out a single single journal article and showed it to me. And it was from the 1970s. And it had described in basically the exact terms I had just talked about the phenomenon. <laughs> you know, I just appreciated that Tony didn't make me feel little or small, that I hadn't come across that article yet. And at the same time, it was an article that he had published. So he knew exactly what I was talking about. But at no point did he make me feel small for, for not knowing that fact yet. So his ability to relate is one of those things that will always stick with me. Well, I think it's a great compliment. Your creativity and your mind was working along the same lines as Tony can do. I think you, you couldn't do worse than that. Yep. Tony always treated everyone as family. If he came across a book that he thought you might enjoy, he would check and see if it was something he could get for you. Or if it was a family member that may have been sick, Tony would ask and, again, be genuinely interested in how that person was doing. It just made you feel like you were part of his family. And in a way, you were part of his work family, but he also made you feel like he was part of his personal family. That was another attribute of him that I won't soon forget, that ability to merge both professional work and also the personal life that that we all carry with us. That's fantastic. And uh, I, I certainly appreciate that perspective, Joe. And, and I appreciate you being on the podcast with us. Uh, Joe Stevens with the FBI Laboratory and a former colleague of Tony Cantu's at Secret Service. Thank you. And thank you, especially to Tony Cantu, for your decade of work and gentlemanly interactions and mentoring with a generation of, of forensic scientists. 